Welcome back to the Doctor Who Flashcast. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined again to talk about Special 2 of this year. Special 2, which is also called Wild Blue Yonder, but is also called Special 2, especially on Disney+, Plus, where everything is a numbered special. Erica Ensign is person I say hello to. One. Hello. <laughs> hello. My arms are exactly the right length. Good. Thank goodness. Well, that's a relief. That's a relief. Yeah, if I introduce Erica Ensign again... Then we know that there was something sneaky going on. But instead, person I talked to, number two, is Chip Sutterth. Hi, Chip. Jason, I've got this terrible pain in all the diodes down my left side. (laughs) Can we just praise rusty robots? (laughs) Front. Oh man! You know what? When when Jimbo uh, first appeared, Jimbo. like I was, I was listening to multiple Doctor Who podcasts about the previous episode, and like people just going bananas about the meep, and like I'm glad for that. The meep was very cute. It just didn't strike me in that way. And then as soon as I see this robot, I'm like, this is my oh, meep. <laughs> I am Team I Jimbo all the way. Just a rusty old rob- uh, robot. Also, I think introduced effectively where they they like have that long. Long, 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 long tube in the middle of the spaceship, and they're and they're like something down there, but they don't know what I mean, it is. I think that's like that. The, the, talk about starting your episode off scary. I think there's nothing scarier than well, something's down there, but I don't. Is know Is it a what. person or is it a thing? Or is it a thing? That line. Are we saying that Jimbo is the secret heart of this episode? Well, yes, and at this point, it's not a secret anymore. No, so. There you go. Let's, but I, I have mean, to say, Jason, uh, calling it a tube, you know, c- technically correct, but I felt <laughs> like it was the corridor to end all corridors. Uh, the ult, the ulta, ulta corridor. <laughs> yes. The in, infra and, you know, corridor. <laughs> Doctor Who is known for running through corridors, and this was just a huge one. And there were several, like, mini corridors that they yeah. got to run through once they mm-hmm. fell through the walls. So I, this was, it just felt like it was touching on all of these delightful <laughs> tropes about mm-hmm. doctor who in general made me happy i i mean okay so atmospheric since we're talking about rusted robots which are great this episode is super atmospheric and it's doing it in i think some really good ways where um obviously they built like the floor and and i i when i saw it i was like oh well you build the floor and maybe a part of the wall and then the rest of it is obviously going to be uh, composited in although according to the law so the behind the scenes footage it's uh you know they they actually did do a thing where they could preview the director could preview and see so not quite the led wall version but the i can look in a preview camera and see it which is a nice upgrade from just a green screen but i thought it looked great i i saw somebody on some social media somewhere say oh doctor who needs to get better at green screens i'm like i don't know oh goodness i thought it, I, I thought it looked pretty great especially in the context of it's doctor who i thought it looked really great we were on a super weird Super weird spaceship with that super long thing, and they have a golf cart that they get to drive around. Um, I just, I, I love the atmosphere of it. And then they get into some more traditional spaceship rooms and corridors and all of that. But like, I really like the idea that there's this long, uh, linear space that can be like foreboding. What's that up there? And then mysterious. Why is there a robot here? And then kind of funny where David Tennant's sort of like, Oh, uh, this is this is where they keep the golf cart, right? And just taps, and the thing comes out. And then, of course, inevitably, they're chased back down the corridor by monsters. So, like, I I I just love the atmosphere of it, especially that long, like, why is the spaceship here, and what is it for? And we never really find out why. Nope. It, it is, is the way it is. It doesn't matter. It's just like we found a spaceship, and and I don't know. I love the atmosphere of it. 
Yeah, this my my thesis uh, my thesis of the specials as revealed on my podcast two minute time. Oh, I didn't even mention the plugs up front. Yes, two minute time word (laughs) and Verity and Verity and Uh, Lazy Doctor Who Verity's podcast. Not Verity's Verity sub podcast. No, (laughs) the incomparables, incomparable Lazy Doctor Who with Stephen and Erica. There we go. Okay. Back resume, Chip. <laughs> Thank you. So that was um, c- consider yourself like the rusty robot, where you like you start a <laughs> sentence and then a long time passes, yep. and then you do another word of the sentence, and yeah. Um. Uh, so my theory of the case is that these specials are designed to be a sampler platter, um, explaining to not only just satisfying uh, old viewers with nostalgia, but just it's Doctor Who 101, and we got contemporary. Last week we got uh, contemporary weird aliens in London, um, and this time around, among other things, we got running through corridors. And if that's not 100 percent what Doctor Who is all about, mm-hmm. it's running through corridors. And yeah. because this is Russell if T. You Davis, <laughs> the corridor is miles and mm. miles and miles long with giant uh, giant uh, versions of our heroes in them. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I got the vibe. First off, I saw this a lot of places, and I wonder what you all think, but I, I saw a lot of people saying, um, like, I, I love David Tennant and the Tenth Doctor and that whole era, but I saw a lot of people who basically said, you know, I rolled my eyes at David Tennant coming back, and now I cannot believe that next week he leaves again <laughs> because it's been so here, great. Here. And it, it does feel like, I, okay, maybe this is me not paying attention, but I assumed going in that the, these three episodes were going to be one interlinked story about the return of the character played by Neil Patrick Harris, who's going to be in next week's episode. And it's not. It is really like a little teeny tiny season of Doctor Who, and there's a, a season premiere and a season finale. And then in the middle, there's an episode. And this was the episode, which goes to Chip's sample, sample platter theory, which I completely endorse, um, the, that it, it felt like a, a middle-of-the-season episode of Doctor Who. And, and I like it. In fact, it makes me feel... You know, if we were all like, well, what's it going to be like to have Russell T. Davis come back and run Doctor Who and do a whole season with Shudagatwa and a whole other season after that and all that? And this episode, because it's a Doctor Who episode, not a special anything, really, it's just an episode, made me way more confident about the future of Doctor Who now. Because, like, that that was a Doctor Who episode there. That's all that was. And it was really great. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. This is so many people were comparing it to Midnight. Yep. Uh, I saw somebody before it aired hoping that they would get a Heaven Sent ish thing. That's just that's just two characters instead of one running mm-hmm. around. So there's you know a little bit of that too. And yeah, this was. I like the fact that there's such a swing. You get this big bombastic over the top, uh, or at least very at the top opening <laughs> episode and. Then here's something that is kind of the opposite of that. You've only got two actors, you know, technically, I guess, four characters, but uh, and it's it's much quieter and much creepier. Like Mm -hmm. the tone of this is so different. I feel like anybody who decides to jump on board here is 
in for a really good example of the the vastness of the styles of Doctor Who, just from this episode uh, to the previous one. And I feel like the next one is probably going to just jump back into the big bombast. So it's like a it's a U-shaped mini season. (laughs) This is Mm. this is the, the bottom of the U. And I don't mean quality wise. I just mean in sort of like, you know, tone and bombast. And uh, and yeah, I think it's a good a good a little example. It does have a lot of uh, throwbacks to the past, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend people start here. But if they do, they're they're getting a, a little tiny mini sampler platter. Not only of the kinds of stories, but also the uh, the age appropriateness of the stories. This is a really creepy and scary episode, and uh, when when. When uh, a CGI David Tennant just sort of flips himself over and crab walks—that uh, <laughs> was not a CGI. That was a person. Yeah, that's that a, was. That's a guy. He yeah, was a contortionist. There may be some VFX that. extensions, but they did do For a sure. lot of that with uh, with yeah, contortionists and practical people. And oh it's, my god, it's, yeah, and he's crazy. You, you had to get his head on there somehow. And yeah, and, and then yeah, so it is. And we heard from a friend of ours who has young kids who said that they were like absolutely like shocked and scared but which works that's what it's supposed to be right it's like that's what, what it's supposed to ah. be but there's but there's only so far that doctor who will go you right know, you're not going to get blood and viscera you're not yeah. going to get you know so uh this is there are there are, i know i know you know this has been a, a podcast so far of us citing what we've been hearing other people say about mm. doctor who and one of the things that i constantly hear about doctor who is that for some people who are into serious science fiction, Doctor Who just does not work for them um, because Doctor Who isn't serious science fiction. You don't go to Doctor Who for the same things that you go to The Expanse for. And, you know, between the meep and the um, mysterious uh, creatures that became uh, not Tennant and not Tate, mm-hmm. um, you know, you get you get the kind of age-appropriate horror, age-appropriate thrills um, uh, that these these specials so far have been very, very clear on what Doctor Who is uh, so that uh, future audiences won't be surprised or put off. You know, it is what it is. Love us or don't love mm-hmm. us. Yeah, I think this has given us an act- accurate portrayal of that, which, like I said, I, I'm surprised a little by that. And I, I've... I'm just speaking to continue the theme. I, I, I've seen some people react with saying, well, this wasn't really a special. It just felt like an episode. And it's like, I don't know the deal with the 60th anniversary. I think the, I think the deal is that Russell T. Davis wanted to do something for the 60th and the BBC wanted him to do something for the 60th. And he didn't want to introduce Judy Gottwood then, or he didn't have the time uh, in the shooting schedule to do that for whatever reason, this was what was conceived. And now it's very clear that what this is, is a mini season. It is a 60th anniversary ish celebration of Dr. Who with a mini season of nostalgia before kind of going on with the new cast and um and and i'm okay with that like i i like that and i like that this is it feels like yes midnight is one of my favorite doctor who episodes um when erica you talked about the u-shaped season um Mm -hmm. i've thought for a long time back in his era that there are two russell t davises (laughs) there's the one who feels as showrunner it is his burden as a promoter of the show to create a big intro, a big opening premiere that they can promote on, you know, for BBC one and a big slam bang finale so that everybody tunes back in who maybe is tuned out during the season. And I don't think 
those are my favorite episodes of his. So I've liked some of them and disliked some of them, but like he has other tones he can paint with. And in those kind of episodes, he doesn't, right? Because he's like, we're putting on a show or a Christmas special. We're putting on a show. It's got to be big and loud and bombastic and all of that. And like, I, I like it when he's like, what if we did a what if we did a thing with just our two characters talking to essentially themselves reflected back? And what would that mean? And wouldn't that be a true psychological terror? I'm like, yes, Russell. Yes, I like that. Uh, so we aren't, aren't always going to get it from him, and that's fine. But like, I I feel so lucky that one of that at the bottom of the U, Erica, that that was what we got <laughs> was a was a more kind of like the other the other Russell Davis and in doing so it is the dynamic range of Doctor Who that it has so much range that it can do these different kind of stories within the same format I think it's great um so so atmosphere and and rusty robots um <laughs> the the uh the Donna um coffee incident is dealt with sort of very quickly at the beginning there's a there's a bit with Isaac Newton uh, I enjoy that the apple yes. falls from the tree and then they crash into the tree yes. and all the apples fall from the tree. That was very good. Yeah, because one of the things yeah. I ha- often complain about in um, in celebrity historicals is when the doctor is the one who makes the historical figure come to the decisions that they do or teaches them things. This is, no, Newton very clearly had the apple land and, you know, figured out his, you know, obviously he had no word for it, but it came to some conclusion before the doctor actually showed up. So it's not the doctor prompting the discovery of, well, discovery of gravity. That's a silly way to put it, but you know Uh, what uh, I mean. uh, Discovery of mavity. Yeah, (laughs) fair enough. At that moment, it was still gravity chip. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Timey wimey. Yeah, it's um, and then they run with that, which I thought was I, I thought that was a very funny bit that that um, and there is in the in one of the back to one of the behind the scenes ones. There's a, a like Catherine Tate and David Tennant, and he's trying to explain why <laughs> she thinks it's gravity. She's because she knew it was gravity before, and he's like, yeah, but it changes right in that moment. She's like, I don't know, <laughs> like I don't know if I'm going to buy it. And David Tennant's like, let me get out my my Doctor Who manuals. I can explain this to you. Which <laughs> I, I just like- it's adorable. <laughs> It was so it was like so many conversations I've seen at Doctor Who conventions where mm-hmm. where you have your fanboy who is explaining often to a fangirl uh, like this is how it works. And, mm. and and in this case, it was that Catherine Tate really didn't get it. And no. David Tennant was genuinely trying to explain it so that she would understand it. It was 100 percent heartwarming. It was so great. And it showed how clearly he is the same kind of fanboy that we are who really thinks about this and tries to make it make sense. And it is just deeply, deeply invested in uh, the logic of it. And it made me very happy. I desperately want characters in the Doctor Who universe to continue to use the word Mavity up until sometime mid-next season when Shooty Gotwa says, damn it, I've had enough. I've got to yeah. fix this. I... Well, either that yeah. or... or... Uh, I have, I've seen some, some thoughts, and I'm kind of leaning this way, that... The Mavity thing, which is a little, I, I thought it was kind of funny, but a little annoying and a little weird. Um, between that and the doctor uh, late, late in the episode saying, I wish, it, wish I hadn't done the salt thing. Right. Invoking a superstition so close to the edge of the universe. May, you know, I'm wondering if between those two things, the doctor kind of messing things up a little bit, that is what leads to the chaos that happens in the next episode. So I sus- there's a, a chance maybe that the Mavity thing gets cleared up by whatever happens next time. But maybe not. Maybe that's totally unrelated. 
I I do think yeah I I, I do think ahead. at least with the salt uh, and the superstition thing I I do think that that is the gateway to bringing the toy maker into the next episode. Um, yeah, why why leave a mystery for something some to be solved? Well, by the next doctor, you know. Well, except um, because I think, he, I think because want- he can. I mean, that, I do wonder a little bit if that if there there are some things being planted here that won't be resolved next time. But it might it might be. I, I think the Mavity thing is a silly joke, which is why it's funny to try to explain why the time time wise it works. It it cl- clearly either will be ignored or fixed, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and it could be as simple as somebody says gravity, and the doctor says. Whew, Finally, okay. Glad I fixed that, right? And and then and then we move on. But I thought it was a funny bit, right? Like it just keeps coming back, and and I, I kept laughing. And I, I know that Russell T. Davis has that. Uh, he he. Well, so in one of the behind the scenes things from last episode, he said in his original script, um, the meep when the meep was in Rose's shed, it kept turning to the camera and saying evil things. And then turning back to Rose and going, oh, no, please save me. And that the audience was in on the gag. And Russell's like, I still, they told me I couldn't do it, but I still think it would have been very funny. And I'm like, you know, he does struggle with the, is this effective for drama versus, oh, but the jokes, I could make more jokes. And <laughs> I think that's what's happening here with the Mavity a little bit, but I didn't mind it. I thought it was funny. Um, I, I the, the salt thing. Yeah, I thought I think that's weird, and I don't know again whether it's you you opened up so that the that the toy maker came into power or something, or whether it's uh, just planting a seed for down the road. But it is a, it is one of those chilling moments, right? Where it's like, mm, I think I did something bad, <laughs> and it's not in this episode, but oh, right, like where you're just planting a seed that like that's going to come back. My my wild idea, of course, is that well, there are vampires in East space, so that's obviously what it's going to be. Oh, yep. The vampires from eSpace have to come out and uh, count the salt. So stay tuned for that. I'm always here for the vampires from eSpace. I mean, just, that's right. I'm not a crackpot. So so the Newton Newton thing, I also thought funny, again, in in Russell just being a uh, troll, um, I think (laughs) him having Donna say that Newton is hot and David Tennant agrees. And yep. then says, "Oh, am I that kind of man now?" Um, and and like just leaves it there. And it's and like Donna that's... being like, "Well, I've always thought so. it was right under the surface, yeah. <laughs> right? Like it's all it's all just." And again, it's one of those things where we could take it very seriously, or we could be like, "Russell is having fun right there," and it is funny. And I, I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna leave it there. I I think I actually think that if you try to analyze that that line, it falls apart in all sorts of different ways. And I, I'd rather not and just be like, I see what you're doing there and chuckle and move on because I don't I don't think it matters. But I do think that I like the lightness of it. Of course, there are many, many angry posts on the Internet already about it. But like, OK, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's a further example. Um, you know, this story is this story is about just pure plot. People get on spaceship. Yeah. Spaceship is scary. Um, bad guys are on the spaceship. People escape the spaceship. That's it. That's the entire plot of this episode. But I think the core of it is bits like that interchange where uh, where the 14th Doctor says, oh, am I, am I that sort of uh, man now? 
and much more much more obviously and dramatically um when um he's dealing with the not donna and she is grilling him about his background mm-hmm. and he, you know he says you, and she says well you're not from gallifrey and goes mm. through that whole list of uh the the things that he discovered uh, in dealing with the flux and the whole timeless child arc, you know, and anybody who didn't see the Chibnall series, you know, that's just, that's just backstory techno babble. You know, you can, you can dismiss it, but where, where I think it's really important is how uh, Tennant plays the reaction to that afterward. This is a story about how um, the, how the 14th doctor is not the same person as the 10th doctor. We got hints of that last time, but this time around, this is all about how the 14th doctor and Donna for that matter have just changed. They're completely different people and they're actually changed by this encounter. You know, it's not just, it's not just show up on the spaceship, escape the spaceship and we're not the same and and everything's just fine. It's not a Star Trek episode. They've actually been changed by this encounter. Mm-hmm. I think yep. the yeah. If you if you didn't see the Chibnall era, what you're really going to get out of it is the Doctor has a new reason to sort of be guilty and sad, which is <laughs> yep. the flux destroyed part of the, half the universe or whatever. And and Russell likes that, right? Like it's like Last of the Time Lords. It's it's feeling a little sad and a little guilty to take the edge off the kind of like godlike being is not the worst thing in the world. And so that's the going on there. Stuff. And then and then also saying, yeah, up front like you're not from Ga- you're not actually from Gallifrey though. You don't know where you're from. And just leaving it as that. And maybe that's Russell saying, "Yes, I'm going to address it." I don't know if I would go that far. I think it's Russell saying if it's in the show, it's in the show and that was in the show and so that's part of the story now as opposed to it would seem very to me very unlike him to say, "I'm I'm aggressively going to try to just negate what my predecessor did, right? I don't think he would ever do that. And this is mm-hmm. this is the reverse, right? Which is saying, yeah, that happened. You saw it. It was on TV. Yeah. And I think he's too. He's a little bit, a little bit more plugged into what the fan reaction is. And you mentioned you mentioned him as a troll earlier, Jason. And I think this is yet another example of that. There are a lot of people who were really uh, touchy about the Chibnall era and wanted it to be completely erased. And I think that this was, you know, the same way that uh, that he has. Uh, sort of raised a couple of fingers at the uh, at the, the the homophobic audience. This mm-hmm. is this is the Chibnall haters being like, "Sorry, it happened. Yeah. You're just going to have to deal with it." Yeah, yeah. He is never going to come. Uh, uh, he may think that the Chibnall era sucked. He may he may honestly think that. Um, he's never going to say that. That's nope. right. He's and he's and and and. There's something valuable about saying that even though you're about to start a whole new series with a whole new numbering system and things like that, this is a 60th year celebration of Doctor Who. And that's more than just running victory laps about how good Doctor Who was and how popular it was from 2005 to 2010. It's about it's it's about the totality of it. It's bringing in a it's bringing in a villain from the 60s. It's mm-hmm acknowledging the uh, show since 2017 or 2018, whenever it was that uh, Chibnall took over, you know, 
Um, it's it's things like that. So when the doubles get introduced, um, uh, what what were your reactions? Because what happens is, what is it? Donna walks in on the doctor. No, and, it's the other way. It, okay, around. the doctor it's walks Donna in on is, Donna. Yeah, Donna is uh, moving the gooey honey coated yeah. yeah. <laughs> go to things around, and the doctor walks in and they start talking, and it's a very warm like orange light around them, and mm-hmm. then it cuts to the other room, which is all water, so it's a blue cooler light, and it's the doctor, and Donna walks in there, and, Donna walks and at in. that moment, I thought that it was like a sliding doors sort of a thing mm-hmm. where time had split, and we were actually seeing two different possibilities of how this adventure could have gone, which Same. was interesting because that's not what was happening and it took me a couple of seconds to sort of figure out that no these things are are actually happening in the same universe in the same ship they're just happening at the same time and the donna that walked in and the doctor that walked in are probably not them maybe they're them from the future maybe like it was really delightful to just be on the back foot and not know what was happening for at least one entire conversation mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know and one of those conversations uh you know was was pretty impressive talking about the, the doctor's past as you mentioned chip so uh until we got to the body horror happening my arms <laughs> are too long mm-hmm. uh i was i was just digging it because i didn't know what was happening and it was i was figuring it out really slowly and i just love that same i had completely forgotten that there were such things as zygons or other you know uh, other sort of obvious um examples of duplicates you know the almost people um the gangers Mm -hmm. that was what they were called you know doctor who is full of duplicates hell salamander from (laughs) from the second (laughs) doctor era um and uh but i'd forgotten all of it because just the 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 atmosphere and the level of creepiness uh, that was going on, you know, I was just in this world, and that was that 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 was that was really well done. Um, it, it just became subtly more obvious that there was something wrong until uh, until the reveal, and uh, and then we've got them walking around with prosthetics on their arms and just. And it just uh, it just takes off from there, and it feels totally original, even though, like I said, Doctor Who is littered with duplicates over the years. I actually had the um, I I was thinking, are we watching these out of sequence? That was what mm. I thought. Is are we doing a thing where they have these two conversations and something happens in the middle? And I'm like, okay, what is going on here? But that was what I jumped to was was not that it was alternates, but that it was like maybe maybe out of sequence where. Where these things happen, and and there's a little you know clever sequencing. I mean, it doesn't matter though, because then there's that moment where you realize. And I think that's why the um, the Donna who comes in to the doctor says something that's much more obviously weird. I think I, I think that he tries to give a little a little tip of the cap, but I also thought that he that uh, he played fair. That he says there's no life on board, right? And so I took them for gangers and zygons and all that. I kind of took the story at its word that that was not going to be it. And if this was a creature that we were seeing, it was something kind of beyond our level of understanding, which is the is the premise of the episode. So I like that they paid, played fared with it while also then having a surprise. And then the rest of the episode is like conversations with them and 
um, and then some chases with them, and then they go into some smaller corridors where we have multiple interactions where the doctor and Donna are separated, and it's like, are you are you with a duplicate or are you real? And we do that again, and then we get another thing where it's all four of them in a room and they have to figure it out. And I just I like that it it, it plays with the premise and kind of escalates it in, in as many ways as it as it can while you are learning that it it is learning about them or they are learning whatever whether this is one entity or two it's two now that they're trying to learn about the doctor and donna for some reason and then we find out that ultimately it's to become real essentially so that they can then um you know wage war on the universe for fun or whatever it is because they're kind of these strange abstract beings that are you know have to become beings and understand the rules of our universe to do it i think it was very effective although again i will say midnight it is a very similar premise to midnight where Mm -hmm. there is a creature that is sort of nebulous and repeats david Tennant's words until it can be you know take his steal his voice and all of those things but um more and with more characters Mm -hmm. and on a giant creepy spaceship so like i i i approve of that and i like that it allows again the script allows it to explore not just the doctor's past, but sort of Donna and her self-image and her self-esteem and what he thinks of her and what she thinks of mm-hmm. him. And like, I thought the stuff with her being like dumb, but also brilliant was a really nice sort of way to describe it. And like, how do you tell somebody who knows everything about you apart from, you know, the original, if they're, if they both have the same knowledge base, like I just thought it was, I thought it was fun and interesting and a way to get these characters and the actors to play off of each other in this moment when we know that they're not going to have it for very long. Yeah, I agree. The, you know, the sort of the classic when you have somebody that looks exactly the same, it's like, you know, uh, tell me something that only you would know. Well, that doesn't work here because as you said, they have all of the same memories. So what do you do in that case? Well, you move on to the emotional side of things, which clearly these, you know, if they can't even get the arms right, they're certainly not going to get the uh, get the emotions right. So, so yes, the idea of holding two different, you know, things in your head at the same time, like Donna, her self esteem issues and that sort of thing, like it just that was that was great, and I love how it sort of failed. At the very end, mm-hmm. yes, when you had the two Donnas, and why is that funny? And really, like, it just is. That's a better answer. Uh, but yeah. but the, the real Donna was was she was genuinely trying. And I think the reason that the doctor just went so fast is because he 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 knew that he could be wrong, and his entire plan was just to get that Donna in the TARDIS, do some tests, and figure out if he was right or if he right. was wrong. And he quickly figured out he was wrong and used the new uh, catapult. Uh, catapult hey, look, the TARDIS is full of ramps, including the exit ramp. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, off she goes, and then we get we get the real Donna. Pick up the real Donna. I, I thought that was really... for. Look, I mean, they're not going to kill Donna, and yet I had that moment of like, oh, my God. Same. What if, yeah. what if he did, I mean, you maniac, what are you doing here? You're going to kill Donna and then have a duplicate Donna in the last episode and then be like, oh, sorry, Donna died and that was a duplicate. I guess I'm sad. And like, of course he's not. And yet it was enough for me to be like, I don't know. He's a, he could do it. He's a, he's, he's killed before. <laughs> like he could do it again. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's and uh, the moment yeah. of, of dawning realization too, because I, I had that moment of, you know, the Donna standing outside is saying, no, I'm the real one. You took the wrong one. For a, like a little bit, I was like, well, that's, you know, that's just the fake one trying to still convince the doctor. And then it slowly dawned on me that, 
no, why would the fake one be doing that? This must be the real Donna. Oh, my God, it is the real Donna. What was he thinking? What is going to happen? And then you get that amazing performance from Catherine Tate where it's just a lot of close up on her face, just being scared and then sort of just looking at that fire coming toward her down the miles and miles oh. and miles of this corridor it's like this is the, the fire is now running through corridors and it was i i was on the edge of my seat and not breathing for basically that whole scene when the robot has finally pushed the button is like oh i can die now thank you <laughs> <laughs> our, our marvin our marvin-esque uh, android slash robot it's a uh yeah um it's good right like just enough i i what you need not to overthink it, but like you just need enough doubt to override your common sense to enjoy the moment and feel the moment. And it did that. It worked for me in that way of like, oh, no, Donna is in peril, right? Because, you know, yeah. if, if, if you fail at that, then your protagonist is never, ever, ever in jeopardy. And you want to feel tension like, oh, no, my protagonist is in jeopardy. One of my people is in jeopardy here. And if, if all you ever do is sit there and analyze it and think, well, they're not going to do anything because it's a TV show and they're not going to do it, then it, that's not much fun, right? It just needs <laughs> to push it over just a little. And it did for me with Donna where I'm like, no, what? come on, doctor. You got to you got to figure this out, which he did. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Related to re- related to all of this, you know, in in the middle of the all of this crucible, um, at ev- at every stance when they're together, uh, the doctor and Donna are being so emotional with each other, mm-hmm. so um, so honest and in the doctor's case, so supportive. You know that one that 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 one scene where uh, Donna's beginning to panic because the TARDIS is gone and he kisses her hand, you know, um, you know, you know, this relationship has developed so far from what we saw in the partners in crime days, you know, Mm. um, and that, I think that made Donna's jeopardy all the more real, you know, um, you know, that they, they care about each other. They care about each other so much. Uh, and the, the flames are the flames are rushing toward her she's uh freaking she she's she's in despair um that i i keep coming back to the plot is bog standard just absolutely bog standard so what do you do with it what do you what what do you dress the plot up with and in this case it was the characters yeah. man it was the characters mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's you're you're right on one level. I mean, the, the atmosphere helps a lot, but in the end, this is bog standard, especially in the sense that it is. I mean, it's it's a it's a two it's a twoer it's a two ender. It's it's mm-hmm. um, and I know he was quoted again. He's been quoted before saying this. I think when Midnight came out, which is you know putting putting two characters together and having them or having them you know bump into each other is drama like that's that's and this is two characters we know really well and then to have it be that it's not quite two characters but they are still based on those two characters and they know about the two characters like you end up creating it it, it, it's all out of that interaction but that's that's great drama and great writing is if you can if you can have the characters matter and and learn things about them and see how they play off of each other and yeah and Tennant and Tate are obviously having the time of their lives doing this right and being able to get the chance 15 years later to do it you could tell, and, especially on yeah. the behind the scenes stuff. Like they are, they are clearly having fun. Absolutely. Yep, with each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
yeah, this is and and the the official story. I don't know. We'll we'll never know the truth, I guess. But the official story is that this was kind of a chain of things where Russell and Catherine were talking to each other, and she was like, "Oh, I'd love to do it again." And Russell's like, "Oh, I don't know, maybe you know." It was, it was the tweet alongs. It was the Emily right. Cook uh, started those tweet alongs during the the lockdowns, and they did one for the Runway Bride, and it was that that prompted supposedly Catherine to say, huh, wasn't that fun to do? We should do and that then, again. Yeah, RTD to be like, we should do that again. And she was like, yeah. But so, but I the mean, next step was, I believe, according to the story, she talked to David and said, yes. David, let's do this again. And they did some big finish audio and stuff like that. Too, and, and that he was like, great. I mean, he was not going to say no to doing more Doctor Who anyway, but I like the dynamic that for Catherine Tate, it's like, oh, my buddy David, let's let's talk to David and we'll make it happen again. And and it did happen. So you can you can sense the joy that's going on there with I just I, I think it's delightful. And then Russell T. Davis writes them a script like this. And oh, I, this is a show, uh, you know, the more of these we do together, I think the more wacky theories we're going to have, because it's one of my favorite things about podcasts and fandom, wacky mm-hmm. theories. I had a moment where I was thinking, was this supposed to be David Tennant? Or was it supposed to be, and my thought was, or was it supposed to be, what if, let's hedge, what if we keep Jodie Whittaker for three episodes? Or what if we bring in Shudigatwa for three episodes? Like, And I, I realized that a lot of it doesn't make sense because so much of it is ultimately hinged on Donna. But I've I had a couple of those moments where I thought, could you do another Doctor and Donna? And I don't think you could, but I did. Mm. I definitely did have those moments of like, could could you have gotten away with it? And I I don't know the answer, but it's like because it's such a weird situation that it seems very precise. Like this only could happen this way with David Tennant agreeing to do it. And I do get the sense that David Tennant would literally never say no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, he did. He did say no back in uh, to so Stephen Moffat. That's true. He did. Although my understanding is he also had like real back problems that he was dealing with then and didn't <laughs> want to do the grind for another year. But and he, he got uh, to do I, the summer even, vacation even so, here. I think, I think he. I think he was ready to move on. Yeah. But I. Th- I think it may be just as simple as Shooty Gottwood was still making sex education exactly around the time that this stuff was being filmed. Yeah, they couldn't and, do it with him. Yeah, but between between. The risks of introducing a new doctor at a 60th anniversary special um, and got was availability. Let's just do the easy thing. Let's yeah. let's let's play the hits. Yeah. And I mean, for this story specifically, I do think that uh, that RTD is an excellent writer when it comes to this type of episode. And he could have made something, I think, wonderful out of it, no matter which doctor and which companion you put in that place. Sure. You have to add different, you know, different emotional beats to hang things on. But I think that, you know, so I part of me wonders, like, he's he's a smart guy. Did he have this sort of general idea in his mm. back pocket for a while and just decide to pull it out now and be like, these are the two ornaments I'm going to hang on this tree, and that is what it is going to become. Who knows? I, I, I genuinely don't think that this story would have worked nearly as well if we didn't have characters with an established history, history right. being afraid of each, uh, be, being afraid yeah. of their doppelgangers. Yeah, it's true. Um, the, the reason that I kind of came up with this crazy theory, by the way, is that there's one early sketch that's in one of the behind-the-scenes videos of that shot of the doctor in the TARDIS with the door open coming up to Donna to save Donna that looks to me like it's Jodie Whittaker in the TARDIS. And I'm like, what? 
but I think it's just that it was a rough sketch and it's like, you know, some hair and a coat and like, we don't need any more detail. But I did have that moment of like, sli- again, sliding doors kind of thing of like, there were other options here, but this is the, this is the, I think a good one, maybe the best one. Sorry, Chip. If I, I think I interrupted you, but oh, well, is there more to talk about, about this before we get to the last scene? Cause we have to talk about the last scene. Oh yeah. We will get to, um, I I want to talk just a little bit about like the the set and the set design. I yeah. you know we we mentioned briefly the the CGI. I didn't notice that it was CGI. Obviously it had to be, but I yeah. you know, if I watch no. it again I'm sure I'll see it. That's but really well done. I, really well done. I, and some of it wasn't CGI. So like the weird ladders that they were climbing up and you know those those mm-hmm. hexes that sort of moved apart and flipped around like those were were real practical things so that the actors could climb them. And I thought that they just looked fantastic the whole the whole design of the 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 shape and the colors of that hallway and Mm -hmm. then how they dropped down into the other uh darker smaller corridors and you know donna slid down and the doctor climbed down and then you have the rooms with like i mentioned before the different different lighting you know you get the warm orange goo and you get the cool water and even in the um the cockpit sort of area there's water going through tubes like i noticed you know donna's leaning against the back of the chair and she's got her hand on like what looks like sort of like an armrest and there's water running through that tube just like with bubbles and it just it looked really futuristic and science fictiony and then you know you find out that the the pilot was a horse it's just like i it felt great in a just even if this wasn't doctor who i would have very much enjoyed all of the science fictional visual elements it it came together really well for me and just just hit me just right mm. uh before we get to the last scene i want to celebrate the first official crossover of uh the hooniverse and the marvel cinematic universe because longtime listeners to the incomparable network will know Whereof I speak when I say that uh, the skeletal remains of the, uh, the of the pilot of a horse alien looked looked exactly <laughs> like one Beta, Beta Ray, Ray Bill. Bill. Sure, yeah. God. If you I, want, I can sing. I thought it. Mm. I thought it. You don't. No singing necessary. I acknowledge um, once again. I acknowledge your theory and validate it. Um, well, one of us did that for you. Somebody Chip. did suggest that it was a. Uh, it, it it was a unicorn driving the ship, which I also kind of <laughs> like. Oh no, the unicorns all died, or the one unicorn who was right. Like, pick your own backstory. Yeah. Well, this is a hauler, but it was done hauling its job, and it, they do mention in passing that it fell into a wormhole basically and had the bad luck to be out here in the middle of nowhere where there's nothing yet. I uh, by the way, I also really like the idea that Russell T. Davis. N- wants to set a story at the end of the universe where there isn't anything and also knows that technically according to physics there is no end of the universe where there isn't anything because the universe itself is expanding and the big bang is an expansion of not just stuff but of space and that when there is no space there's nothing and then the space comes and that was with the big bang it wasn't erupting into space it was erupting space it, anyway, it's now I'm. It's like I'm David and Tennant. And he threw in that that lovely techno babble, being like, "Well, so, yeah. as soon as you discover this, blah blah, this blah, new blah, math, blah. then you'll get it." And I like, I love that, right? Because that's him yep. saying, saying, "Not so fast, smarty." In the 21st century, you don't know. 
things that could be weird and complicated. And he also posted on Instagram that he did have a line in there that was going to kind of tip the cap at multiverses and tech thing in between universes and, you know, e-space and all sorts of things like that. And he was like, I cut it because it was boring, but it was in there. So the doctor <laughs> was thinking it. But but again, with all these things, I think that, that you also have to accept that do- the doctor, when he's communicating to Donna, is doing it on her terms. So like when he says the 15 years or whatever, the 15 years that she wasn't around him, it's not it's not 15 years for him, obviously. It's hundreds of years or thousands of years or whatever. Um, but that it's her 15 years in her reference frame. And that's what that means. And that's all that means. Cause the doctor, we'd have like 90 doctors if, if you went through that many in 15 years. So it's not objective, but that's okay. Like, again, I think just very clever. It's a writer who knows what it is, what fans are going to pick on and also can challenge, turn it and challenge them. That's the moment that I really like, right? It's like, I know you're about to well actually me about physics, but I <laughs> out well actually you. <laughs> <laughs> first yep. <laughs> and i love just such a good move it's like a judo move right you use their weight against them and be just like ah <laughs> but in the future that won't be true don't ask me why ask again <laughs> right it's the it's the uh, i'll explain later um but it's it's good i like that because it, then it's just creepy it's like we're on the edge of nothingness and i like how the doctor says you know the known universe is over there and the light will get here eventually but right now there's nothing here Creepy, weird stuff happens there. Great, that's all. It's a haunted. The universe is a haunted house. Great, that's all I need to know. I lied. I do have one more other um, uh, thing before we get to the end. Uh, the most Russell T. Davisy thing ever, which is the TARDIS's apparently completely random utilization of the song "Wild Blue Yonder." It just plays it for no reason. Mm. It just at the beginning. It plays it as it comes back in the end, and and that's just it. It's just this thing the TARDIS does. A Stephen Moffat script would have had some elaborate uh, rationale for it that would have ended with a plaque on the side of a spaceship or something like that. You well, know, I thought, um, I, I thought there was a rationale. It just wasn't elaborate. It was very straightforward. It was, you know, the tar- the TARDIS is, is starting, you know, the reason that the HADS is activated, gosh, I love that the HADS is back, that just always makes me very happy, um, is because th- these creatures, these not creatures, whatever they are, um, have been absorbing mm-hmm, stuff about mm-hmm. war, they say it later on, and the TARDIS is basically, this is the TARDIS's message to, uh, to Donna and the Doctor, being like, you're in danger from violence, mm. so I'm, I am right. out of here. Right, so so I'm down with that as far as the TARDIS's behavior, but the fact that it is playing the song "Wild Blue Yonder," specifically that song, for no reason other than I feel like it's just sort of sounded nice and um, lend itself to an interesting title for the episode. I was just you would have uh, picked a different song, is what you're saying. I'm oh. saying that I'm saying that the I'm saying that. Uh, why is there a song another writer would have come up with an elaborate explanation for why that particular song uh, for Russell T Davis it's just it's just perfect let's go with it uh, yeah and, it's it's a warlike song so right. that's the one to use and yet it is also headcanon material because it's sort of like rousing to, off we go into the wild blue yonder right it's just it's like a song you would as the as the audience you would think oh well that's appropriate in a way because it's like the doctor and Donna are going off on a on a journey, and then we all start disasse- disassembling it and saying it's actually about war. Donna gets the title wrong, which is also really interesting. Mm. 
right? And he says, no, it's actually wild. <laughs> and it's because it's fighting, right? I, I, and when she says it wrong, wrong, I'm like, have I been misremembering the title <laughs> of this song all this time? I was like, no, no, she gets it wrong. And that's a weird little detail too. Um, I think, yeah, I think he it works thematically. And that also you could argue that at the beginning, it's a little like Matt Smith shouting Geronimo or something. It's It's just a... It's a thing that happens in a context that you don't think about what it means. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. That's yeah. my that's my best I headcanon for you today, Chip. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It doesn't mean more than th- those basic thematics. There's no like secret reveal that this is the the last shot is the spaceship and it's the SS Blue Yonder, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. That doesn't happen. It doesn't need to happen. So, at the end they they uh they go back to Camden, where they were before, but it's a couple of days later. Or and, so. Or so, thereabouts. And who is outside the TARDIS waiting for them in a wheelchair? But Bernard Cribbins, Wilf, and we get, an, uh, we get another one of those wonderful moments like he's done, I think, multiple times when he said goodbye to Doctor Who in the past, uh, where he gets to hug Donna and he gets to say, oh, the, you, Doctor, oh, the face, you wonderful man. And he, Doctor professes <laughs> his love for Wilf in person and, and they hug and it's very sweet and it's a delightful little moment. Uh, if you didn't know it was coming, it would be really amazing because it's sort of like, well, he's not around. And you're like, oh, we're not going to see Bernard Krivitz because he's very old. And then he died. And so we're not going to see him. But they, they're they going to say that he's still alive. But no, here he is at the end of episode two. And then he says, oh, but it's terrible. The whole world is falling apart and there's fire and a plane crashes. And that's the end of the episode. Um, and sadly, the only scene that Bernard Cribbins, um shot, because although they wrote some scenes for him later, um, he was ill and passed away very soon after this actually. Um, but they, but he gets his moment and we get to see Wilf again. Wilf, the, in some ways the most unlikely of Dr. Who companions in that he was just like a unnamed bit character in, in Voyage of the Damned retconned into being Donna's grandfather. Mm-hmm. And then for end of time, they're like, sure. Why not Wilf? We'll just have Wilf be in End of Time Part 1 and 2 accompanying the Doctor because everybody loves a, a, a Bernard Cribbins. Why not? And uh, and so to get to see him one more time, like I don't have the history that British people do with him being on TV all the time, but uh, it doesn't matter because I have his history in Doctor Who. And honestly, that is enough to completely melt my heart when I saw him, knowing especially that he recorded this fairly soon before he passed away. Just delightful to see Wilf. Yeah, I teared up. As, yeah. as soon as he appeared, I was oh. just, and that's uh, in part because the just just from a simply character perspective and how happy I was that Wilf as a character got to see the tenth doc- Doctor yeah. again, or now fourteenth Doctor, but yeah. still same same face, and you know, and the fact that Donna earlier in the episode had been saying, you know, I wonder what happens, you know, how long would my family wait? I bet Grandpa will be back there every yeah. single day, and they walk out, and she's like, What did I tell yep. you? And so, so on that level, I was just totally bought into the 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 emotion of of the story and then like a beat later i was like oh right this is this is it this is it. uh and then started thinking about the bernard cribbins thing and i too i feel like i've i i've got all of the doctor who stuff and then the greater british love for him has sort of rubbed off on me so i have it by osmosis mm. so i was just i was a little bit of a, a soppy mess at that point it was it was really delightful and then it ends with an actual like explosion and i was like that that feels kind of right chip 
Crimson there's an Fields? official there's an official uh BBC press photo of uh Cribbins with Tennant and Tate um that uh RTD included on his Instagram. Um and it's um Tennant with his with his hand on um Cribbins's back, uh uh Tate holding holding his hand and just the affection yeah. between those three actors um just puts a lump in my throat. Um because um, you know, although it's better than the alternative, aging sucks. And yeah. there was so much more that Cribbin still had to give to the world. And I would have loved to have seen just a few more scenes of yeah. him. Because, even, even in his nineties, yeah. there's, we, we, you know, he's, yeah. he's, he still had it. The, he's, he still has it, had it. That scene, um, that scene was just perfectly, he, he was perfectly in tune. He was perfectly, that mm-hmm. character right um, I, it was- I, I admit to being a little worried especially when i found out that he passed away fairly soon after i mean remember we there were like the reports that he was seen in camden when they were shooting because that was all out in the open it's like oh they got bernard crimmins back and then like not very long after he died and i thought oh god oh no and then go in the run-up to this i thought well first off i hope that they could use whatever they shot and that they didn't sort of like have to cut him out and second oh i hope he's not like on death's door and they dragged him out of his deathbed to do something and it's going to be all awkward. No, it is 100% energy from that man in that wheelchair, just doing Wilf Mott like we know and his salutes and his old soldier stuff. And it just, it was, it was a good performance. It wasn't just, it's good to, they carted him out one more time. It's like, no, he, he still had it. (laughs) He still had it. Whatever was going on, he still had it. Yep. No, oh, I love that man. Like the doctor says, a lot of the Donna. I mean, the Donna family story is um, really uh, fraught too, right? Because Bernard Cribbins being retconned into being her grandfather is in part because Howard Atfield, who played her father, died after the Runaway Bride. And when they were writing the scripts for her return, I believe the original mm-hmm. plan was to have Jeff Noble and then ha- the actor died. And there that's is, the, yeah, there's, there's footage of, there's footage of the, uh, the backyard, uh, shed scene, uh, with Atfield in it, uh, available as an extra on the old, uh, oh, on the old uh, yeah. DVDs. So they actually so shot was, with him and then it, he passed away and they're like, what do we do? And the answer was, <laughs> Russell T. Davis was like, you know, and Cribbins, I never really said who his grandchildren were. <laughs> well, I, right? I hate to be a reply guy, but well, actually, um, you know, he was actually feeling poorly enough that after that scene was shot, they realized that they couldn't do there it. There was no way that he All could right. continue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either way, so it's 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 very sad. I'm I'm happy then with all of those tribulations that we got to see just a bright, shiny Bernard Cribbins as Wilf one last time. Uh, it makes me happy that that happened. Um, not happy that he, he passed away afterward, but happy that he left such a wonderful little thing behind. That's just, it's great. It's wonderful. Love that mm-hmm. character. You know, Chip, I give you a hard time about the end of time, but you know what I like about, I love about the end of time is Wilf. Wilf's in the whole <laughs> thing. Oh, it's yeah, so good. Yeah, yeah. I'm the most unlikely companion. And in the end, <laughs> the perfect companion. Yeah, really so. 
Uh, so we have one more episode in this little mini season, and Erica's um, theory didn't come true, or at least didn't come true yet from last time. And I'm fine with it. After seeing how good this episode was, right? I was not even remotely disappointed. Um, we know that there. That we saw a shot of of orange. Orange regeneration energy on top of David Tennant, and we saw uh, Shudigatwa, and clearly regeneration happens in the next episode. I'm still not entirely convinced that Russell T. Davis, the man, the man who um, had David Tennant fake regenerate into a hand, <laughs> mm-hmm. won't pull something else weird out of his sleeve next week. But yeah, especially since when he, I, I, I think last week I cited that RTD had said, you know, and we're doing, we've done something that's never been done before in Doctor Who. And I think if I heard that right, he specifically cited episode three, like the third of this, uh-huh. the a third one. So, uh, yeah. So I'm basically this time I'm not making any predictions because I feel like that would be very foolish on my part. I'm just going to go in. I'm going to sit back and enjoy the ride. Uh. I'm not going to make any predictions either, but uh, as as big as a tenant stand as I have been over the years, I will actually be really cross if there is anything that pulls any kind of focus away from Shudigatwa in, oh. in his debut. I really actually don't want the 14th Doctor still hanging around as much as I've heard of a lot of people, I think even you on uh, social media, maybe Erica, you know, I, you know, I'm not ready for this 14th doctor to go. Um, now that I'm so excited about it, I am thoroughly ready, uh, for him to go because I can't wait for Gotwa. I want to see what's next. And, uh, I hate, I, I don't like, I don't like the thought that he might be lurking around to show up in the, uh, in, in like next year's Christmas special or something. Oh like gosh, that, that uh, to be clear, that no. is not at all what what I meant. And I think a lot of the the people that are that are professing that emotion, it's just that we are we are loving this so much. I am just I did not think I was going to enjoy the Fourteenth Doctor very much, yeah. and it's just so good. And it's just it is a, a little bit of a shame that I didn't get more of this Doctor, maybe instead of the Tenth Doctor, um, because because I really like it. I absolutely would not want him like at this point. I recognize he's going and that like i don't want that to change had things been different and i had gotten you know a whole season with him that would have been super wonderful but i certainly do not want him uh overshadowing shooty got was uh doctor i would be fine if they were both on screen together in this next episode but no i would not want the 14th doctor um you know hanging out beyond that into you know the christmas special or something like that so i've got um I agree with that entirely. I I've really enjoyed this, and 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 Shudigatwa is is coming and <laughs> for yep. multiple multiple seasons, and that's great. If the timing had worked differently, now seeing what I've seen in these first two episodes, if the timing had worked differently, and they said, you know, here was what we're going to do: we're going to do an eight episode season of Doctor Who with David Tennant and Catherine Tate, and then Shudigatwa's coming. But we're going to do one season before Shudigatwa comes because of timing and his availability and the 60th anniversary, and we're going to do that. That would have been great. And and instead, it's only a three episode mini season. Like so, be it. And I'm I am absolutely ready to see what's next. The 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 how delightful this episode was, and how last week's episode was great. It makes me just that much more uh, convinced that Russell T. Davis still got it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, can't wait to see what he does with brand new Doctor, brand new companion. Uh, a little bit of a clean slate, as clean as the slate can ever get on Doctor Who. I think that's all true, but it does. I just had a moment of like, oh, but I'm ha- I'm having fun. You could have done more of this, knowing that they couldn't have. This is how it had to be. 
It's fine. I will, I will throw out theories. Here's my theory. <laughs> my right. theory, is, or sort of like two theories. Um, one theory is the regeneration, things they haven't done. One theory is the regeneration happens in the story. So, so at some mm-hmm. point in the story, half an hour yep. in, I'd buy it. David Tennant regenerates, and a post-regeneration Shudigawa has to figure out what is going on here. <laughs> yep, <laughs> and fix it, um, and deal with the the ramifications of having regenerated right then. And then my other theory is is a version of of Erica's, which is Shudigawa appears to help David Tennant in a key moment from the ah. future. And then mm-hmm. David Tennant regenerates into Shudi Gatwa. And he's like, look, I'm coming, but I'm not here yet, but I, you need help with this thing. And that feels more Stephen Moffat-y to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas Russell T. Davis, just having him surprise regenerate a little sooner than you think uh-huh. at the end of the episode, after saying his goodbyes, that sounds like a Russell thing. So that's, you know, if, if we're looking for what is the thing that's never been done before, I don't know, maybe the credits roll upside down. They, they go from the bottom, from the top to the bottom or something. And that's all it is. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that would that would also be a way to really make a, a villain have real teeth to have, you know, right? the toy maker is such a threat that not only is he going to do something that's going to end up with a doctor regenerating, it's no, it's not going to end up with a doctor regenerating. It's it's going to mid up with yeah. the doctor regenerating because it happens in the middle of the episode. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know. Uh, he's got, like he's it. playing with the house's money now, Russell T. Davis, right? He's got these three episodes and then he knows he's got uh, the uh, Christmas episode coming with Shudigawa. That's the proper introduction to him. So, you know, he can do whatever. So I guess he will. <laughs> Great. Next week, um, we uh, next week, Chip and I will be back and we will have a guest. Erica will not be available next week, although you're going to be on Verity next week. I will be on Verity next week, uh, barring unforeseen circumstances. Yes. And then and then with any luck, you will be back here round about Christmas for yeah. the new doctor. Which will yes, be great. for the, the church on Ruby Road. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mysterious child is found. Nobody knows where she came from, but Ooh. they do know she's going to be Doctor Who companion. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean? Uh, yeah, sounds good. So Chip and I will be back. We'll miss you, Erica. We'll get uh, someone else in to uh, try to carry on without you. We'll be sad, <laughs> but we will do it. Um I, but I think we, we are going to keep this to about an hour. So good for us. Uh, hooray, as they say. Hooray. Um, and and uh, we'll be back next week and say goodbye to David Tennant again. Why, well, you know, we can't keep saying goodbye like this if you won't go away, David Tennant. Come on. All right. That brings us to the end. Uh, thank you, Chip Sutter, for being here. You're very welcome. And Eric Ansign, of course. Thank you. I don't want to go. And thanks to everybody. Oh, that was good. Uh, I think he's going to say, time to go. But maybe not. Maybe it'll just be, arg! And then he turns into Shikawa. We'll see. Uh, thank you all out there for listening to the Doctor Who Flashcast. We will see you next week. Doctor Who Flashcast, only in